Hello, welcome to Why Not Me. In life, we face many trials and obstacles, many challenges, and in the thick of it, we can be tempted to think, why me? But every obstacle presents an opportunity and every trial can bring triumph. So I want to encourage you to adapt a mindset of, why not me? When, when in the middle of it, when things are tough, look around and think, why not me? It's, it's happening for a purpose. And then when success is at your doorstep and all you have to do is open it, you may find yourself hesitating, questioning, is this for me? Do I deserve this? And I want to encourage you to adapt a mindset of why not me? Throw the door open wide, shout to the world, why not me? Embrace your success. I'm your coach, Todd Halls. I'm grateful to have you on this journey. Welcome to Why Not Me. Hello, hello. Welcome to Why Not Me, turning trials into triumphs, seeking and embracing success. This is your host, Coach Todd Halls. I'm super thankful to be here with you today. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. Always, always grateful and appreciative of you. I'm very excited to share our guest with you today and what he has to offer. Uh, is somebody that I've known for about five weeks now. So, uh, and we'll get into that and how we met. But uh, our guest today is Joel Gandera. He is a husband. He's a dad. He's a business owner and entrepreneur. He's an author and by all counts, a leader of men and so much more, which we're about to find out. So with that, Joel, welcome to be, welcome to Why Not Me. Thanks for being here. Awesome, Todd. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Likewise. So uh, fill, fill in the blanks a little bit. I gave a pretty broad general umbrella, but um, tell, tell us a little bit more about who you are. Yeah. So uh, my wife and I have been married over 21 years. I don't know that anything's perfect, but if, if I had to say that there is a perfect relationship, her and I always say it's us because we're, we're absolutely best friends and we have been for 21 years, but crazy about each other. Admittedly, I'm more crazy about her than she is about me for obvious reasons. I'm just a whatever guy. She's amazing. And we have four children from the ages of 18 down to nine. Our oldest just completed boot camp with the army and uh, he's looking to go to mechanic school with the army. And then after that, all the kids are you know, following their own passions and what they want to do. And that's a big part of our life because I no longer work full time anymore. I haven't for many years now. Actually, in my late 30s, I got to the point with my businesses where I could start stepping away. And that was amazing because when my wife hit 30, she was able to stop working. She was a registered nurse and delivering you know, babies in the labor ward. <clears throat> and what happened is that was great for the family. We, had, we then had our third and fourth child once she was home full time. And then I wanted to be home more. You know, I absolutely love my family and I love my wife and my kids, everybody. So I started move, making moves in my business where it continued to grow and continue to make more money, but I didn't have to be there so much. I automated the heck out of it. I empowered my employees and we had good systems in place and that allowed for that to happen. So now I, I sold my two best businesses, my bigger businesses over the last 75 days I, I exited. And uh, first time exiting like that, I mean, I sold off like a small interest in little startups before and things like that. This was my first time really doing this. And now I get to just focus on what I like to do. And it's specifically working with men. So that's that's my current life in a nutshell. But it, it hasn't it sounds cute. And like it went in a straight line. It's been a lot of ups and downs. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification, because that's what we I think we all see this picture of. I'm here. 
I'm just going to draw this straight line up and to the right, and I'm going to end up here. But it's never that way, is it? <laughs> I haven't figured it out yet. No, it's going to be ups and downs. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've obviously figured uh, a good part of it out. And I'm curious uh, for, for the, well, what's the first step once you decide, you know what, I need to, I'm, I want to, I want to step back from my business a little bit, or or maybe step back since right word, but I don't want to be so involved in this business right now. Uh, give us a, the the best next step once you come to that realization, or even two or three steps that somebody would take to get started on that journey. Yeah, the first realization was, man, I work more than any employee. And I go, was this the purpose of starting a business? And I was probably in my early 30s at that point. And I said, I didn't start the business to just work 80 hours a week for that. I'll go get a job. Maybe they'll pay me overtime, double time. Who knows what I could do? This is a lot of stress. I go home and it's all I think about. So that's not why I started a business. I started a business to make a better living and to have some freedom. And I remember the the pipe dream that I had one day. I told my wife, I said, can you imagine if like Wednesdays we could leave work at noon? Wouldn't that be amazing? Instead of five o'clock, like that would be a game changer for us. And then uh, we started practicing that. We started going out on new, at noon. And then we said, what if Fridays we could start doing that? And, you know, this took a long time, right? From initial thought to when we first took a Wednesday off, it was right three months. And to when we started taking Fridays off, maybe that was six months later or so. But then something else happened. I, I like systems and I like knowing what to expect. I don't like last minute surprises. So I started building the business in a way that, when this happens, you have to do this other thing and this other thing. And, and then I taught that to my first employee, my second, my third, my fourth, my fifth. And I remember when it was got up to 11 of us in the office in the warehouse, um, I went to the warehouse to help with something. And we had three guys working in the warehouse. And one of them said to me, who'd been a friend of mine for years, he was in between jobs and I hired him in our warehouse. And he said, Joel, you don't need to be out here. We got this, man. We There's three of us. We'll have this done by the end of the day. And, and we got systems. Look. And he would show me and I go, oh, that's actually better than how I thought we should do it. Yeah, that's a good idea, man. Let me know when you change things, but but that's good. And and I started realizing I was less and less needed. And then I hired, around that time, I got a really good right-hand man. And he started just, I hired him at 22 years old. He was making $9 an hour this years ago and 5% commissions that I would take him to, on the road with me to Vegas and trade shows and, and whatever he sold, he would get commission. And on ongoing, he would service those clients as well. When he left the company with me, he was making $120,000 with me. But he went and started his own business. And that kid who's about 11 years younger than me. He, I mentored him from a young age and I taught him all my good habits, hopefully no bad habits. And he took off with that. And he was really good at questioning my things to make it better. And so once I saw that he was stressing out, I realized, wait a minute, I don't have to stress out. Somebody is stressing out over all the things I was stressing about because it's either you or I, one of us has to stress out, uh, you know, get stressed so they can fix it. <laughs> and once I saw it was him, I started relaxing. And then I started realizing that I'd go to the office and I'd sit at my desk and I, it was really nothing for me to do. Everybody had a task, all the emails. At most, I would forward an email to somebody. That's it. And say, hey, take care of this. But after I did that enough times, clients would just start emailing those people directly because I'd forward it and say, hey, so-and-so, I'm forwarding you to Jonathan or Susie or whoever. And I'd say, you know, and they can help you in the future. So it just started coming off my plate until the day I said, you know what? This is stupid. Why do I have a desk in here? Why do I have a computer in here? 
and I got rid of all that, and I didn't have any any office anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. But what was that like internally? So you gave us a little bit of background. You and your wife had talked, and, and you had this vision of not being there all the time, and yet so many business owners that I run into and talk to, um, you know, the business is part of their identity, and they're holding on to the reins, and you know, you mentioned that you had some good people with this, this 22 year old that you mentored and, and you were able to hand those duties off to turn the reins over. And to hear you talk about it just now, it was like, no, they're good. I'm, I'm good. Was it like, was it really that easy? Um, and what would you say to somebody that's, that's well stuck holding on all the reins because they think they need. Yeah. Nothing is ever that easy, but, but it wasn't terribly difficult. And I say that because. I know people who just can't let go and they have to question every single thing. And then they wonder why their employees are not good leaders and why they don't make good decisions. Because when you, same thing with children, we've got four kids, so I've seen the same thing. If you make micro decisions for them, they don't become very successful. They don't become very independent. So you want to raise good children? You want to raise good employees? You have to let them make mistakes and, and hopefully you let them make small mistakes that are under control. For example, when my right-hand guy would call me and say, hey, you know what? By the end of the day, I kind of got to figure out, am I going to do this or am I going to do that? What do you want me to do? I'd say, tell me, like, what do you think? I had a good idea of what to do. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. But I'd say, what do you think? And they'd present it and I'd say, okay, well, what if this would have happened? And uh, they'd, they'd think through that one and they'd go, okay, well, and I'd say, you know what? Because honestly, these weren't big deals. If it was a big deal, I would jump in a little heavier. But when they weren't big deals and I wanted to build that self-confidence in them and that independence, I would say, well, you know what? I'll tell you what. Don't worry about telling me what you're going to decide. Take the next few minutes, hour, whatever. At the end of the day, tell me what you decided and tell me how it went. Now, this isn't something, again, that's going to make or break the company. This is like which vendor they go with for a a $500 order of something. It's, It's not the end of the world. So go ahead. Go decide that. And then the next time they felt so empowered and confident, they went through the exercise with me of, well, let's see what could happen there. That now maybe they made a little mistake here and there. Now they're getting better and better. So it's like that with kids too. You know, I don't tell my kids specifically, first of all, I would never tell them what they need to study. I don't even tell my kids they got to go to college. So my 18 year old is in the army. He's not going to college. Right? He's not interested. So I'm not going to force him. Uh, my second child, He's interested. He's going to go to college, but I'm not there telling them where they got to go, what they're going to study. Like, like, all right, you know, you're, you're at this point, you're ready to make decisions on your own. And we prepared them along the way. So it's the same thing with employees. I hear it all the time. I'm a member in entrepreneurs organization, EO. And I hear sometimes people say, oh, my employees and, and you know, complaining about their employees. Most of the guys don't because they're, they're really good business owners. But every once in a while, I'll hear some complaints. And then when you ask for the background, you see that you're just having them be employees. I don't want to have employees. I want kind of partners in it with me, right? I reward them uh, on a higher level employee. I reward them on the on the bottom line. So if we're profitable, they're getting a piece of that. I want all arrows aligned in the same direction. I want me to leave and know that they're there making the best decisions possible for the business. I also want them turning the lights off on the way out. I want them saving money on what vendor we should go with not just grow sales. So I incentivize them there. We're incentivized completely together, them and I. Love that. And as you started out, one of the first things you said was you asked them a question. And so as a, as a coach, 
Um, that's one, you know, I didn't learn that until I was about 40 when I first started training in leadership coaching, like the power of asking questions. So you seems instinctively, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, but you ask them a question and then it sounds like you gave them space to think about it, to process it, to answer it so that they could build that decision making muscle. Did yeah, that come well, natural I mean, to you? Um, I think so. I, I was at a, Jocko Willink event. It's uh, on leadership, um, you know, the former Navy SEAL. And I took a, a group of seven the first time. And then the second time I took a group of 16. And one of them was my vice president at that time, a new right-hand guy over the years that, that I had up until just the other day when I sold the company. And as we're there, I think maybe day two, and he's jotting notes and, and all into it. And he looks at me and he whispers and he says, Joel, you do all of these things, but you've been doing them since before you even came to any of these events or heard any of that. He's like, how do you know to do that? I honestly don't know. I think from probably making a ton of mistakes in the beginning. And also I've been working since I was 12 years old. I know what a good boss is like, and I know what a bad boss is like. And I hate to just be told, do this because I have a brain and uh, maybe I'm not super smart, but I know I'm probably at about average or maybe one point above average intelligence. So I like to think and figure things out. And the most frustrating jobs that I had are where I would question things and I knew I was right. Uh, at least I thought I was right in the moment. And I remember, for example, at a job that I had that was data entry and, and I was 22 years old and I had some ideas about, you know, we're getting this paper and we're typing it all out. But some employee at some company of benefits had to fill this all out. Why don't we just have a simple website where they could type it all out? This is 1998. It could be done. And my boss said, are you kidding? I'm not losing my job. We're not giving ideas like that to the company. And uh, so then I saw uh, some bosses are bad. Instead of being like the leader and, and helping promote good ideas, she just shut me down. And I hate that. So I never want to do that to anybody. I want to, hey, what else can we do? How can we improve this process? Just the same. I understand some people have skills that are better at one thing or the other. Uh, I'm pretty good at efficiency. So I would always check what the current process is with my employees. First of all, I designed the software that ran the, the warehouse that I ran, uh, that I owned. Um, but then we were always looking for more ideas. So I always, always say, if you find something that's holding you up, wasting time, costing us money, please let me know so we can start looking for a better solution. When they gave me great solutions, I'd give them $100. One employee caught something that was costing us shipping, a lot of shipping, thousands of dollars. So for that weekend... I gave them a bunch of gifts and uh, two nights at the beach uh, here in Fort Lauderdale with him and his wife for that weekend because he saved me a lot of money. So I was always eager to collect information. But uh, Todd, what you said about letting them have that space to think and create and, and mess up maybe, I want to share something. When I was young, I would go to garage sales and as soon as I could drive and I'd buy stuff and I'd take it to the flea market and I made money whenever I found stuff. One day I was at my office and on a Friday, and I went driving to lunch, and I saw a sign in the community near my warehouse that said, neighborhood garage sale Saturday from like 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. And I said, all right, I'm going to bring my son tomorrow to show him, my first child. And at the time, now he's a man, but at the time he was probably 12 or 13. And in the morning, we got up, he grabbed a wad of cash, I had a wad of cash, and we left to garage sales and we're driving by. You don't even get out unless we see something good. And we see a Pac-Man machine, a full 
size. Midway was the brand made in Chicago, I think, back in 1980. It was, it was all the details. It was all original except for the screen. It had a modernized screen. So it was very nice. And I grab my phone and I look it up on Craigslist and I see these things going for about $800 and the guy wants $400. So my son and I start talking the guy down. We get it to $375 or so, maybe $350. And I say to my son, look, you can put this thing on Craigslist. You might be able to sell it for $800. Do you want to buy it? And he was like, I don't know. I mean, that's, he had the money. He had, he's been selling chocolates and making money since he was in first grade. And he goes, God, I don't know. It's $375 or whatever it was. Um, he was so nervous. And I could see it in his face. And I go, Ryan, if you don't buy it, I'm going to buy it. So you make your decision right now. I'll buy it. And I'll sell it. And he, he, uh, he turned pale. He got red. His heart was shaking. You know, you know your kids. And he goes, I'm going to do it. And he did it. It worked out really well. He made like $25 just off the neighborhood kids putting quarters in it. Because pl we plugged it in the garage. <laughs> he went and knocked on every door, got all the neighborhood kids. We had a line of kids to play Pac-Man, a, a you know 40-year-old machine or 50-year-old. And then he sold it on um, Craigslist. That was a Saturday we bought it. He sold it on Thursday for $800. So he made over $400 in total. And every once in a while, that memory comes up in my Facebook. And I always send it to him. I go, look at that. You did it. Now, had he bombed? Well, he would have learned some lesson. I don't know what that would have been. And we probably learned more from the, the bad lessons. But we also, success breeds success. So he did that. And then he bought some other things. And he invests in some of Now he has $30,000 saved up at 18 years old. So, uh, you know, that's how I like to help kids and employees make decisions and learn. That's awesome. I've And, and so... What a gift to your son and, and all your kids and people that work with you because I've run across people that in that moment they do get locked up. Like, hey, do you you know, do you want to go left or go right? And they freeze because somebody's made nearly every decision for them. Like, why well, I don't I like they literally say, I just can't decide. Um so I'll and you gave him a son for 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 most of us. If we're working with people, around people, we've got kids, an organization, um, how do you teach somebody to make decisions? How do you, what's the feedback loop to help them develop? Yeah. So definitely, I think kids are being brought up in a way that they cannot make good decisions in general. I see that when I'm around other kids. You know, with four kids, you get to be around a lot of kids because you have parties, there are soccer games, baseball, you know, you have all those things. And something I see it's missing is that apparently their parents are deciding everything for them or their parents have them in a screen all day um, because there's a lack of communication. There's a lack of confidence and they cannot decide. I've had kids where I say, Hey, do you want pepperoni pizza or cheese or meat? And they just like a deer in the headlights. So I think it's a disservice of the parents that number one, they haven't taught their kids to communicate. I say this proudly, all four of my kids, when you walk into my house, go downstairs if they're upstairs or they go to the front door to shake everyone's hand as they walk in and look you in the eyes. That's important. Uh, that gives confidence. And then confidence leads to many more things like better job, better business, uh, better relationships, um, better decision making because you have the confidence to have the wherewithal to make that decision knowing I might mess up, but it's okay. I'm pretty good. I have confidence in myself. You know. Um, as far as how to teach people to make decisions, you get them to a crossroads. Hey, uh, new employee. Hey, I need you to do this. Something will come up. I promise you, you don't have to make, go look for it. Something will come up. And then you challenge them with, okay, well, what do you think? 
yeah, you have to make this decision. What would you think? Obviously, first day is a little difficult because first day problems are, hey, this computer froze or I don't know what software you, uh, I forgot the software you told me to do this thing. Okay, jot it down. It's this. And here's where you'll find it. You know, that's the beginning. But after they get going and they get their feet wet, now they're going to get to crossroads and hopefully they've seen enough where you go, all right, you got two directions to go. What do you think? And I also like to answer the question sometimes with stories like, well, I'll tell you what, when I was younger, I had a situation. I'm not going to get into a 20 minute story, but when I was younger, I had something similar to that happen to me because, oh, by the way, I, when I've had employees, I coach them on their personal lives as well. I ask them what their goals are, what they're aspiring to, what are they excited about? What's next? And now they see that I care because I really, I genuinely do. Now they work better, they work harder, but they know they have me to help them in their life as well, especially if they're younger than me, but sometimes they've been older than me and they ask those things. So when they get to a position in their life, I'll give you an example, former employee in my warehouse, he got a better job opportunity and I couldn't pay him anymore for a warehouse job, but he got a good job offer and he left about six months ago, roughly. And about two months ago or three, I sold my business. That kid is in this country by himself. His family's in, in Latin America. And he still calls me. He called me on Friday just for life advice. He said, hey, I got a job opportunity in another state. Do you know anything about Salt Lake City, Utah? He's never been out of Miami where, where we live. And I said, absolutely. I was there last summer. And it's like this. It's like that. It's a good opportunity for you. Your English is going to improve while you're there compared to Miami where everything's Spanish. And this and this and this. But a lot of it, I got to just tell stories and say, look. I was in a position once about your age where I could have just stayed put or taken a risk because at your age, what are you risking? You got nothing to lose. If you have kids and a wife and the responsibilities, that's different. But you're 23 years old. You can do whatever you want. And, you know, you give them a couple of story examples and all of a sudden they see the light. And now it's not me telling anybody what to do. They came on that decision by themselves. And when they do that, now they go full throttle and give it their best effort. It, yeah, it makes such a tremendous uh, difference in in commitment level and buy-in from the person that's that gets to make that decision. Yeah, they so, can, they can mess up my decision, but they're not going to want to mess up their decision. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, you, as you talk about, you know, well, caring about your people um, and and coaching them personally, it makes me think of you know where your passion is right now and that's to really to serve men to to help to help guys out what does what does that even mean what's it look like where like tell us what you're up to right now Joel yeah so about 10 years ago when i started stepping away from the day to day of my business i had been volunteering as a mentor at that point probably for 15 years in different organizations startups uh, you know, like accelerator type organizations, mostly business. And so I got to learn how to be a mentor. I, I went to different seminars and flew to Chicago for three days to learn how to be a better mentor all on my own bill. I just wanted to learn how to help people better. Uh, and here locally in South Florida, I, I was in a, several organizations and they had some tutoring and training on being a better mentor. So I got to learn all that. And that was great. And I had zero intention of ever making this into a business, but I'm an entrepreneur and things sometimes happen. What happened is in one of those organizations, by chance, where I was mentoring, a gentleman said, can, I, can you become my coach? And I said, yeah, I'm your mentor. He goes, no, 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 I want you to be my coach. I want you to pay me. I'm, I'm sorry, I want, I want to pay you. And I go, wow, nobody's ever offered me money just to offer me money, but what do you have in mind? He said, if, you don't, if I don't pay you, I'm not going to take it serious. I'm not going to 
get great results. I know myself. And I go, all right, let's do it. And I told my wife, hey, what if I make $50,000 just for fun coaching an hour a week or whatever? We'll see what this is. And um, that was, you know, I had my established business. I wasn't working day to day. It was making me a lot of money. And I said, if I make 50000 just for fun, that first year, I made 156000 And it was just one year of coaching. It was very part-time. It was just a couple hours a day. And I go, whoa, this isn't nearly as good as my other business, but this is fun. This is something I'm passionate about. I get to help people. So I coached men and women, entrepreneurs, but it was mostly men. There's probably more business owners that are men, I'm guessing. I don't know, but that's who came to me. And then I started realizing I got some tips and tricks and hacks for men that work really well. And they're not just about business. They're about how to have a better relationship with children, with your spouse, uh, with your employees, with your parents, if they're still around, you know, all these things. And I go, I, sh- I got a lot to share here. And I started sharing those with some client coaching clients and that went really well. Then something happened. I got a book, someone's challenge book. It was a 31 day challenge of stuff. And I did it. And I liked it. A couple of years later, I invited a few friends. I said, go buy that book and do it with me. We'll start on this date. I'll give you a couple of weeks, get the book. And something like 20 or 24 friends agreed. And we did that together. And it went really well. And then some of them said, hey, Joel, you did that for free. That's a common theme in my life. I do a lot of things for free. And then it turns into a business. And some of those friends said, let's do this class again. I want to invite a bunch of friends, but let's um, charge us this time. All right. So we did a second class. And then I started realizing people were saying in the group, we'd have a WhatsApp, we'd have a Zoom meeting every week, once a week, a Zoom, a WhatsApp where we chat in. And then some of the guys started saying, Joel, the book's cool, but the advice you've given us before on this, this, and this was way better. And I go, huh, that's interesting that they like me better than that author. And then another day would come up in the 31 day challenge and they say, yeah, I like the way you do it better. I like the way you speak. I like, I don't like this guy as much. It was a great book, but it wasn't me. It wasn't my voice. And this is my program. So uh, I wrote a book called 31 Days to Become a Better Man. And that became the new structure for the class. And I think we implemented it in class five, class six or something like that. And we continue to add a new class every month or so. And you know what? All it is is 31 days. You commit to certain things that you're going to promise you're going to do. There's always a physical component in it. And there's always a mental or a written component to it. And in the end, I promise it will improve your life. Not one man who's done it has told me, yeah, this stuff, I did everything I tried and it didn't work. I haven't had that happen yet. And I think it's because we have 31 different things. Maybe this one lesson doesn't apply to your life. You got that part under control. Maybe you're not communicating well with your spouse, or maybe you're having an issue with a neighbor. Something will hit that you're going to go, wow, just that alone, that one day was worth it. So that's what I'm doing. Awesome. And having gone through the challenge myself, thank you, by the way, I I love the book. Uh, So uh, it's so practical and there's so many things in there that as we, at least for me, we we're running through the day to day of life and we just get caught running through the day to day of life. And we're not intentional about these things that make all the difference. You know, how are we showing up for our, for our spouse Uh, in the morning? How are we showing up for our kids and spouse in the morning? And then how are we showing up for them at the end of the day? What are we doing for ourselves to make our you know, self-care? Um, was listening to um, a podcast the other day. I was McConaughey and Milet, and they talked about this notion of um, ego and how without some selfishness, you can't be selfless. 
in that, you know, if we're not focused on taking care of you physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, you're going to be ill-equipped to take care of anybody. I mean, you can't, there's nothing to give. So anyhow, your, I think your book draws out a lot of that and the, the practices within, I think uh, it's, it's just of immense value. So, uh, so men listening, uh, 31 days to become a better man, highly recommend and, and join the challenge, the next challenge. Uh, speaking of challenges, um, or, the, or actually speaking of the next, where are you headed with this? Like, what's your vision for it? Yeah. So <clears throat> here's what happened. The second class, but again, another bunch of great entrepreneurs, very successful, finished. And one of the guys said, hey, man, this is too good. You can't just do 31 days and let it go away. Um, why don't you do a maintenance program? Like, All right, tell me more. We talked on the phone. He goes, look, this can be an ongoing thing. You could do some Zooms, a Zoom or two a month. We can have a WhatsApp group and keep it going. We could have an re annual retreat. We could... And as I'm hearing it, first question I thought is, who am I to do that? I've never done that. I've never run a group like that. I've run companies, but I've never run that sort of self-development group. Then at the same time, I started asking myself, well, wait a minute, who's the guy who's read about a thousand business books and self-development books? Oh, I, I've done that. Who's the guy who's challenged himself physically more than the average person? Oh, I, yeah, I, I do that still. You know, and as, I, and as I kept answering questions, I go, I'm not that bad. I might be able to do this thing. Let me see. And that was this year. And we started doing it. Uh, and now we've had over 200 guys finish the course. We've got about 65, 65 guys in an ongoing different maintenance programs that are doing it. And now it's inspired my wife, who's an amazing person. I, I know probably a lot of guys say that about their wife. Mine's the most amazing. Um, she's a cancer survivor, uh, registered nurse, super disciplined, mother of four. And I'll go back to the super disciplined. My wife, nothing stops her. I've never seen someone just go, no, I said I was going to do these 100 push-ups today. And it's 10 o'clock at night and it's been the busiest day in the world. She's going to go do those hundred pushups before she goes to bed. Um, you know, you see few people in life that are that driven. And for me, that's just very impressive. So she's inspired to now start and she's almost done writing her book. And it's a 31 day challenge series for women. I don't know what the name's going to be. I don't know what the program is going to be called, but we have over 50 people that have already messaged 50 women that have messaged and said, I want to sign up because they know what she's all about. And so she runs a little motivational WhatsApp group right now where every day she gives them a workout challenge and they ch chat about it in the WhatsApp. We're going to take that to another level. She's going to do it with her program. And it's all going to be on my website when, it, you know, when we add her program later on, joelgandara.com. We'll have both of us on there. And we're just using my name because it's been up for years, that website. Otherwise, we'd have Jessica, her name. But we're not going to run two different sites. We're going to see how it goes. Already with the interest we have, and we're going to limit each class to just a few people. We already have the first few classes filled up. And so we'll see how that goes. That sounds amazing. I'm ex yeah, excited to see what happens. <laughs> you mentioned uh, physical challenge and, and you know, the physical discipline that your wife shows and that you've done some hard physical things. And um, curious your thoughts on that. Um, because, and we were talking about this, uh, recently, maybe we, we're getting soft as, as, as a whole in, in, in the U S uh, we're, we're just getting, there's no, there's no, no way to put it. We're just getting weak. So, um, 
speak to that a little bit. I'm also curious, what's the hardest physical challenge you've done? Um, and what, what do you, what do you tell somebody that's sitting on the sidelines thinking maybe I should do something someday? So three, three things there. Sure. So your ancestors struggled every single day to survive just to get enough food to make it to the next day. And all they can think about is tomorrow. My guess is they probably had very little stress, depression, and anxiety. Or at least they had it, but they didn't know. So they just worked really hard to survive, to build a house, to fight off a saber-toothed tiger, to catch a deer. You know, you had to eat. The problem, they were, and they worked so hard for us to be here. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for all their struggles. And yet we're going to sit on a couch and watch Netflix and drink beer. And that's how we reward our ancestors. That's how we honor them. Imagine that that we work that hard. If we were them and we would watch our generations later, we would watch our family just be fat and lazy and unhealthy. That'd be very sad. So I think about that all the time. For me, that's motivation. That's also what I tell people. I have a saying that I tell myself all the time. It's get off the couch. And the funny thing is I never sit on the couch. It, it's just that I, when I'm deciding, should I go do that? Or should I just call it an early night? I'm going to go do that. If it's a beneficial, positive thing, I'm going to go do that. If there's a good conversation I should have with someone, or I could just stay sitting here doing, checking my emails, I'm going to go have that conversation. So that's one of the, the things that I would advise. And absolutely, we are getting soft. A man's handshake over the last couple of decades has lost so many pounds of pressure. Not that you have to go around crushing people's fingers. I hate that. But man, your grip strength determines a lot about your health. You can look that up online. We are getting weak. We're eating processed foods. We are eating sugar, grains, and all these, you know, for, for millennia, humans ate meat and eggs and high in fat, high in protein, low carb diets. But all of a sudden, now we're being told when we are the least healthy, we're being told, no, 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 you should have a low fat diet. Of course you shouldn't. You should have, in my opinion, I'm not a medical expert. I want high protein and high fat. And what I want to cut down on are carbs. And guess what? I eat every single day, eggs, and I eat meat every day. And if I could just say eggs, meat, and salad or vegetables for the rest of my life, I'd be happy. What I try not to eat is processed food that lowers your testosterone, that makes you weaker, that makes you sick. I think those big industries are in bed together. The processed food and all that garbage and the TV watching and then the medications make you feel better. Look at all the commercials. They're selling you a car you don't need, food that's going to make you sick, and medication to help you with the food that's been making you sick. I think it's all garbage. Um, What else? Did I miss something? It was a loaded question. (laughs) That was fun. Uh, so for, for all the, uh, for any listeners that may be curious about this, what's your, what's your blood panel look like being, being a high fat meat, high protein meat eater? Uh, tell us about what's really going on with your health. Yeah. My health is in perfect shape. Every t- I, I don't take, I don't have to take anything. Um, I'm active. I work out one or two or three times a day. It's always one of those. I rarely take a day off. Now, a 30-minute walk, I'll count that. I don't do that three times a day, but I'll count that as a workout. But I'm always active every day, so I'm burning. I don't eat late at night, and I don't eat high in sugar. Um, I think those are important things. Every time I get my blood work uh, checked, and I have a company that I work with, it's phenomenal, and all my guys use them. They send me to go do a test wherever you live in the country, they send you. And then they have you do a session with them on the computer. And you're looking at your results as you're talking to a professional that's telling you what all of this means. 
Now, if someone needs supplements, they'll sell them supplements and they'll say, let's use these supplements six months later. Let's check again, see where you're at. I don't do any of that. Um, I do take supplements on my own and I keep taking the ones because they work, but that's it. I'm as healthy as can be. Everything's within the range of normal. My testosterone is strong. Uh, my sugar's low. To me, those are some of the blood sugar. Those are some of the main things. But yeah, everything else they tell me, look, you're right in the range of, of, of healthy. Now, some of the most overweight people I know limit their fat intake. They limit their, their meat intake. Uh, and then they, uh, they, they eat a lot of carbohydrates. I know some very unhealthy uh, vegetarians. Interesting. Interesting. What, um, for somebody that feels like they're getting soft, where would you have them start? What's, what's step number one or one, yeah. two, and three? Yeah. Anytime that any action is the solution for everything. I don't care if it's stress, anxiety, uh, feeling insufficient, uh, you know, you're getting soft and you want to get tougher, take action. And look, there was a small period of time where I let myself get out of shape. It's when we had two little boys at the time. Now we have four kids. But when those first two were in diapers, they were both in diapers at the same time. That was a stressful time in our lives. My wife was working uh, overnight as a nurse and I was trying to build a business and I was always tired. I stopped exercising because I realized I've got too much going on. I'm building a business. My wife's at night sleep, working at the hospital and I'm here with two little boys. And I got to do everything for them during the day. Uh, well, I made a decision. I would sit on the couch. I remember every evening and watch baseball back then. After we ate dinner, I'd sit on the couch. And then I, I said, I'm sick and tired of this. I looked at myself. I was a little overweight and I got to make a change. And I never was like this. I used to be in shape. I played sports all my life. All right, that's it. During commercial breaks, I'm going to do something. Push-ups, sit-ups, sit on the chair and just lift my legs whatever it is. And I started doing that. And guess what happened? That little pebble started rolling and got bigger and got bigger, bigger. And my interest in eating healthier now happened because I go, oh man, I'm doing exercise. I should probably eat a little bit better. I started doing that. I'm doing exercise. I want to do more exercise. Maybe now I'll do more walking. And I started walking. And then within a couple of weeks, I was running. And within a couple of weeks, I started doing more push-ups and lifting weights and that's it. That's it. Just take that very small action. I don't need personally massive goals, big, hairy, audacious goals. BHAG, great for a lot of people. Maybe for me it is too. But what I prefer is a tiny goal. Like I want to see if I can watch this whole baseball game where every commercial break I do exercise. Wow, I did it. So you go, I don't have time. Well, I had time to sit there for two hours watching that game. How can I not use the commercial breaks at least to do a little bit of a workout? So that's it. Just take very small action and get the ball rolling. Why is this sage advice? So, because um, it does away with a lot of the excuses, right? It does away with the, well, I want to go to the gym, but it takes a half hour to get there. Or I want to get in shape, but you know, I've got two little kids at home or, or whatever. Where what you just described was uh, use what you have right where you're at and just get started so and the thing is is you didn't even say that you eliminated watching tv or what you like to do you didn't take that out you just added something useful at the breaks right and then later so by the way later i gave up tv so yeah one thing at a time though i'm not telling everybody go do everything right now that's overwhelming 
and they're going to do great for a week or two. Then they're going to fall off and go, this is horrible. Just start getting used to that. You get used to not sitting around during commercial breaks. Then pretty soon you go, what am I doing watching TV? And then you quit that and you go to the park with your kids instead and go out and walk and get sun and air. And it just keeps getting, keeps getting better and better. Awesome. 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 I, I, I hope, I hope our listeners take this to heart and uh, just start taking steps if you need to, or take more steps if you need to. Awesome. Uh, Joel, as we get uh, close to winding down for, for listeners that want to get in touch with you, join the, the challenge, get on a waiting list for your wife's challenge. Where, where do they find you? How do we get in contact? Yeah. Joelgandara.com. That's my website. J-O-E-L-G-A-N-D-A-R-A. Joelgandara.com. And you can sign up for the mailing list. At the very bottom, there's a place you can put your email address. I send maybe four or five emails a year. That's it. I don't send a bunch of email. Uh, I prepare these emails myself and I don't want to do all that work. So very few emails. I won't spam you. I hardly have ever gotten anybody unsubscribed from my email list. They must like the value of it. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. Perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, If you would, give us one important or impactful question that we should be thinking about. All right. Um, There's a million, but... Here's one that just came to mind. What more am I capable of? Or is this what my life was supposed to be? Right? If you question yourself at 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, whatever it is, is this what my life was supposed to be? And then if it is, and you're perfectly on track, absolutely. Congratulations. You're probably in the 1% and you're solid. If you're in the other 99%, then there's probably something you want to change because just because that's what you want. Look, at 12 years old, you wanted to be something. Granted, if you want to be a professional athlete, now you're 50, a little difficult. But you wanted to do something else, something different with your life. Did you replace that with something equivalent to it? So I've asked myself that many times. Is this what I had thought of as my life? And I go, this is actually better. I didn't dream that my life would be this way at this age. So I feel happy about that. I can answer that. But but I think I can answer that because I've been asking myself that question for many years. And when it wasn't the way I wanted it, I took action to go in that. So ask yourself, is this what my life was meant to be? Love that question. Thanks, Joel. Thank you so much for being on and for sharing with us. Time is precious. We appreciate yours. Thank you. My pleasure, Todd. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. I am, again, just so grateful for you. Whatever grand vision you've been given, whatever dream God has put on your heart, remember, you can. Until next time, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful, and live life strong. Peace, everybody. Well, thank you so much for listening. For even more on turning trials into triumphs and seeking and embracing success, go to toddhalls.life. That's toddhalls.life. And I look forward to serving you. Until next time, be strong, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful. Peace to you.